Welcome to Calvary Chapel of Columbia, where we're unpacking God's truths one verse at a time. And now here's Pastor Tim with today's message. All right. Well, if you have a bulletin, I ask you to just pull that out. We're going to go over a couple things this morning. You know, it's funny how uh, you just draw a blank every once in a while, and you're just like, oh, Lord. But he brought it back. It's all good. It's all good. I can't imagine that doing a big, being a big worship gathering and just drawing a blank, man, you'd be like awkward. So, um, just a couple things I want to bring to your attention this morning. There's, there's a few things going on in June. Um, next, mo- next week, next Sunday, is our fellowship family worship service where our kids stay in the sanctuary and everything. So, we're going to have our fellowship meal following. But it's going to be really cool because we have uh, uh, Samaritan's Purse, some representatives coming that are going to share with us uh, a little bit more about the vision of Samaritan's Purse. And so, we're excited one of the things that um, we're trying to do with some of the missionary things that we support and that we adopt into the church, we're trying to bring more information to you all so that you, have, you can connect with them a little bit more. I know Pastor Brian, who's head of missions here, he's going to be uh, hopefully bringing out uh, Wes Bentley from Far Reaching Ministries to share with us what's going on with, you know, in the sedan and what, what they're doing there and how you are all supporting and, and actively working and to, to get the gospel out to those people who are there, and so um, super exciting. Uh, next week, we'll have Samaritan's Purser. They're going to share with us, and then again, we have the fellowship meal afterwards, and uh, you can look at the board and find out what the theme is. I'm not sure what it is, but you can look there. Um, also, um, June 10th, we're hosting a, um, a, a movie night here. We're going to do a barbecue for a youth funder, fundraiser for the kids for youth conference coming up in July. So come on out for that. It'll be a fun time. We're going to do uh, God's Not Dead will be the movie we're going we're gonna to be um, watching at 6.30. And uh, so we'll start, we'll have food ready at 5.30 for you. Come on out for that. And then we're going to do something new starting in July that I feel like the Lord's kind of put on our heart because we gather in corporate para on Tuesdays at 12.30. And I know a lot of you guys can't make that. I know it's difficult for people who you know, are working and, and can't get here. So what we're going to do is we're going to also do a corporate worship slash prayer and praise night on Wednesday nights, um, Wednesday night once a month. And uh, we're going to, from 6.30 to 7.30, and it's going to just be an opportunity to share what God's doing in your life. Whatever the scripture comes up, you know, it will be just kind of, um, you know, you sharing prayer requests that are gone on your heart or whatever. Um, but that we're going to come together as a, a just a fellowship and, and hopefully open up a little bit more opportunity for prayer for you all and just some more time of fellowship and worship. So uh, mark your calendar for that. The first Wednesday of each month is when we're going to do that. And so uh, you definitely want to put that on your calendar as well. You can look over the rest of these things and, uh, and uh, you know, also there's a, there's a flyer that um, we put out today on a, a couple's retreat that all the ca- local Calvary chapels in the Middle Tennessee are hosting a couple's retreat. Pastor Sandy Adams from uh, Calvary Chapel Stone Mountain is going to come down with his wife, Kathy. They're going to share um, some practical stuff about marriage. And uh, so it's going to be uh, September, October 21st and 22nd. And it is actually going to be at our little retreat center up at Garden, Garner Creek Retreat Center up in Dixon, um, Tennessee. And so it'll be a Friday night, Saturday thing. Uh, so they'll start Friday evening. They'll have dinner, do, do some teaching. Then you'll stay the night there, and then Saturday morning, again, some teaching, and then by 11.30, they're planning on breaking. So it's, it's just kind of a nice little 
uh, get, you know, be a great extended date night, you know what I mean? If you're, you want to have somebody watch your kids and you can have an extended date night, it'd be great. So more information to come on that, but um, we'll uh, definitely have a sign-up sheet, and, and if you're interested in that, let us know. Uh, they're still kind of tentatively planning, but they want to get an idea of about how many couples would be interested in that. So um, real quick, any, by show of hands, who would be interested in going to something like that? Anybody here? Kaysen would be, so that's good. Okay, 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 good. That gives me an idea I can let them know. Um, so anyway, that does it in the way of announcements. Turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 13 this morning. Luke chapter 13. And considering this Memorial Day weekend, I want to take just a moment to remember those who have shed their blood for our freedom. We all understand that freedom is not free. And we hear that, you know, and I wonder how much of that really sinks in into our hearts and our busy minds and our busy schedules and things. But, uh, you know, this weekend is not really, a, it's, it's a great time to get together with family and all that kind of stuff. But, but really tomorrow is really meant for us to, to remember those who have shed their blood for our freedom. You know, and of course, the first thing that comes to my mind is the blood that was shed on Calvary for our freedom, our spiritual freedom, the fact that Jesus Christ died for us. So you want to be mindful of, of what Jesus has done for you every day, but, you know, even during this time. But, but specifically um, tomorrow, as you gather with your family and friends, you want to be mindful of those who have laid down their life for our freedom, that we could even be here this morning. We were in prayer this morning, and Tom brought up the fact that, you know, it's, it's because of the lives that were laid down that we can sit freely in this sanctuary today with our Bibles open and to be able to, um, you know, worship our God freely. You know, and, and we thank those. And there's, there's family members today that are missing a loved one that laid down their life for us. They fought valiantly for our freedom. And so we want to be reminded um, and, and we want to be in prayer for those families. And so make sure you take a moment to, to, uh, um, to, to do that. And, and for those who are in active service, you know, in our military today that are doing that, still fighting for our freedom, you know, our servicemen and women, we thank you. And I would say that if you see a serviceman or woman in, in public somewhere, that you thank them. You know, you might think, oh, man, that's cheesy, it's awkward, it's not cheesy, it's respectful, and, and, and it's honoring, and frankly, it's just the right thing to do for someone who's, who's giving up so much for us to be free. So I would implore you to, as you see soldiers and, and servicemen and women, cops and different people that give up their, some of their freedom to uh, make sure that we are protected and that we are free, that you thank them for that. So would you stand? We're going to pray for... Um, for those, who, for those families who have lost uh, loved ones, and, and then we're going to get into our Bible study this morning. Father, we thank you so much for your grace and goodness to us, Lord. We thank you, Father, that you saw fit from the foundation of the world to fight for us. Lord, that you would send your Son not to just come and take over the world by force, but he would come and take over the world by sacrifice. That freedom would come through the laying down of his life. And yet that spiritual truth is a reality in our physical world, Lord. The fact that there are those in our country that sign up, 
sacrificially for our freedom, that believe in the foundation of what this country was started for, that are very serious about keeping us a free country. Father, we remember those soldiers today and those servicemen and women that laid their lives down for our freedom. Father, we pray for their families as they remember, no doubt, this Memorial Day, as they have a real sense of probably mourning and loss, Lord. May we not, may we give a moment for them, Lord, and just remember them, and, and we pray for them, and we ask your Holy Spirit to comfort them. We ask your, your Holy Spirit to just move in their lives, and may they be drawn to you, Lord. You're the only source of comfort in this world. And so we pray for those families who are missing loved ones as a result of fighting for our freedoms. And we ask that you bless them. We ask that you meet them where they are this weekend. And if there's anyone here this morning, Lord, that has, that has, had, that has experienced that, Lord, we pray for them. We surround them with your love. We ask you to just blanket them and give them comfort and peace. And we thank you, Lord. We ask you to just continue to protect those who are serving as they do sacrificially give up their time, their, their family's time and whatnot, that you would be with them as well this weekend as they are no doubt some of them mourning friends. So we, we lift all this up to you and we ask, Lord, that you would just touch people's lives this, this week as they, we remember what has been done for freedom's sake. We also ask this morning that you bless our time of Bible study, Lord, that you would just help us to find the victory in the only King, King Jesus. Lead us into all truth by your Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would remain standing, we're going to read Luke chapter 13. And for context, we're doing the life in the ministry, we're, we're doing a little series of life in the ministry of Jesus in chronological order. We find ourselves in Luke's gospel, and we are in the middle of a conversation he's having with the Pharisees. And in a, in a uh, synagogue somewhere. And so I want to pick it up in context in verse 10, but we'll really look at verses 18 through 21 this morning. Luke chapter 13, verse 10. Now he was reading in one of those synagogues, he was teaching in one of those synagogues on the Sabbath. Behold, there was a woman who had, a, had had a disabling spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, Woman, you are freed from your disability. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight, and she glorified God. But the ruler of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, said to the people, there are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed, and not on the Sabbath day. And the Lord answered, them, answered him, you hypocrites, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to water it? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? And he said these things. All of his adversaries were put to shame, and all the people rejoiced at all the glorious things that were done by him. He said, therefore, what is the kingdom of God like, and to what shall I compare it? It is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden, and it grew and became a tree. And the birds of the air made nests in its branches. 
And again he said, To what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all leavened. You can be seated. We're in a, a part two message that I've entitled from last week, The King and His Kingdom. And if you were with us, you recall in verses 10 through 17, we found Jesus demonstrating His absolute sovereignty over infirmity and circumstance, over the law and over religion, over principalities and powers. He's sovereign over everything. He is King of kings and Lord of lords. And he is demonstrating that fact as he steps into that synagogue that day. He finds there sitting a lady who had been afflicted by a disabling spirit for 18 years. 18 long, laborious years that this woman had, had never really been able to look somebody square in the eyes because she was bent over. She hadn't really ever probably been able to for 18 years properly hold a newborn baby. She hadn't been able to really embrace her family members the way that she'd like to. You ever think about how would you eat? If you were bent over all the time, you just eat like this, how do you swallow? You can't bend over. 18 years she was oppressed. It was a result of the demonic realm, principalities and powers. She had a disabling Spirit. She hadn't necessarily done anything to become that way. We don't see Jesus mention anything. He just speaks freedom over her, touches her, heals her body. But we know the culture. We know as she stepped into the synagogue, no doubt they looked to her and they said, it's your sin that has caused you to be that way. And yet, even though she would no doubt get bombarded with those kind of comments, she continued to worship God. She continued to worship Him. Now, that seems like almost a natural step for a worshiper of God when calamity comes, when, when you know, disaster comes in your life. The first thing people do is they, if they know the Lord, or if they, they, they're, they're kind of even engaged in somewhat of you know, the, the Lord at all, they run to the church. We see it. What happened in nine, when 9-11 happened in our country? The churches were flooded with people. People ran to Jesus. I need to get to Jesus right away. How many of those people are still in church today? Church attendance went like this. And then I think it came back down. Why? Why is that? There's a fine line between those who began to seek God for for release from whatever circumstance they find themselves in, and if he doesn't do it in a certain period of time, people's faith begins to wane. They begin to question, is this real? If I'm dealing with these kind of circumstances, is God really there? Why is he allowing these things? And, and so the target of our circumstance, our difficulty becomes God. He becomes the one we become disgruntled with. Because he's not doing anything about it. Or is he? We have to realize that there is a, he has a plan and a purpose. That he's doing something. This week in men's Bible study, we were reading Philippians chapter 1. 
Paul was put in that very circumstance where he was imprisoned in Philippi for the gospel. He was, he was there as a result of the gospel. Now, now, he found himself in difficult place. And yet, he did what he knew to do. He ran to Jesus. And he would have stayed running to Jesus no matter how long it took. But check this out. God had a plan and a purpose. Uh, Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through 14. Paul, recalling this, he says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. He's talking about God putting, or God allowing him to be imprisoned, and he's saying that it really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard. Remember, when he began to praise God, the jail cells opened up and, and the guard got saved and his family got saved and all that. It, it became known through the whole imperial guard that all the rest and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers having been confident in the Lord by my imprisonment are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Paul was saying this, my imprisonment was for Christ. Not in the sense that it was as a result of him bringing the gospel, but it was for Christ. He, he put him there for a reason. So that the gospel could be lived out through him so that he could bring it to people that wouldn't probably ever hear it any other way. So he sent Paul in to be a propagator of freedom in a prison. And as a result, people got saved. Lives were changed. And not only that, but he encouraged the brethren. His imprisonment, the fact that he didn't allow his circumstance to bring him down, but he, he rose to the occasion and continued to praise God. And it says that as a result of that, that, his, that the brothers were, were emboldened to go forward and, and, and bring the gospel into the world. Paul was a great example of what it means to work through difficulty. God has a plan and he may be allowing you to be where you are today. He very well may have put you in a place of difficulty for the sake of Christ so that he could bring the gospel to somebody somewhere. And you're the, you're the carrier of it. We should be careful not to complain or not to pout about the circumstance that we find ourselves in. And I'll tell you, I have to remind myself of that. Jesus has a plan. He has a purpose. And you don't ever find yourself anywhere in this world that he hasn't ordained or he hasn't allowed you to be in. You can't ever step outside of a place that Jesus goes, whoa, I don't have any control over that because he's king of kings and he's Lord of lords and he's in control. He's sovereign. So we can rest in that. God uses difficulty to push forward the gospel. Hudson Taylor was a guy, he's one of my heroes. He was a missionary and in the 18th century, or 19th century, mid-19th century, in the 18, mid-1800s or whatever. And he 
took, was the first guy to take the gospel to inland China. And Hudson Taylor said this about difficulty. You want to talk about difficulty? You know, I mean, showing up in China alone in the 1800s. I mean, I've been to China in, in the 2000s. You know what I mean? I've been, I've been there, and he's going inland like, like it's not established. So I've been to Beijing. I've been to, you know, Shanghai. I've been to Ningbo. I've been to some of these places that Hudson Taylor's been, and they're developed today. But understand, when he went there, man, it was, it was not developed at all. And it was difficult. But check this out. He says, my path is far from easy. I was never more happy in Jesus. And I'm very sure he will not fail us, but never from the time of the foundation of the mission have we been so utterly cast upon God. It is well, doubtless, that it should be show. Difficulties afford a platform upon which he can show himself. Without them, we could never know how tender, faithful, and almighty our God is. How much we may and ought to trust Him. He was saying difficulties are opportunities for God to show Himself through you. Difficulties open up a whole new realm of God being able to say, Look to me. I'm here. Not only to you, but to those around you. To those around you. Don't despise the difficult days. Because God is using them. If you find yourself in a difficult place today, look for ways to live out the gospel. Look at it as God, as hard as it is for me to do this, I have to die to myself and say, God, this is an opportunity for you to show yourself strong. This is an opportunity for you to move in my midst and show me how big you are, but to show those around me how big you are as well. Listen to me. Some people, that will be the only way that they will ever see the gospel at all is through your difficult circumstances. And they're watching. And they're wondering, is your faith real? Is it true? When you encounter something difficult, will you Trust what your own words have said? Will you believe in Jesus? Will you trust Him? Will you walk in Him? Will you continue to press into Him or will you begin to back off and begin to go the other route? Begin to doubt? Begin to question? God uses difficulty in our lives. Sometimes it's just to press us into Him more. And when we get pressed into Him more, we become more like Jesus. Sometimes it's a matter of Him humbling us. Sometimes it's a matter of Him, like Paul, we talked about last week, that thorn in His flesh, whether it was His eyesight or headaches or, or whatever it might have been. We don't know what the circumstance was, but what we know is God put it in His life so they wouldn't become prideful because of the things that God was doing through Him. He recognized that. What we know is God doesn't always take away our infirmities. But he always uses them. You hear that? He doesn't always take them away, but he always uses them. And if you're suffering long term, like this lady was, know that God ultimately has a purpose in it. He had a purpose for her. He has a purpose in you this morning and what he's allowing in your life. He's using it to accomplish something. But understand, 
When it's finished, when he's accomplished whatever he wants to accomplish, he will just remove it like that. That is the, the, this is what we see in our passage. As this woman for 18 years had been bound, and in an instant she was released. God had said, the mission is accomplished. Thank you for doing what you've been doing. You've been faithful. Thank you. You're healed. Now move forward and just continue to worship me. He, in an instant, with his words, freed her from some spiritual bond that she had been bound to. With his hands, he touched her. And she immediately stood up and her body became like brand new. It was brand new. New in an instant. After 18 years, God had accomplished whatever he wanted to accomplish in her. He had, he had allowed it for a reason. And he allowed it to be there for 18 years. But in, a, in this moment, when Jesus walked into that sanctuary, it was her time and he released her from that. She was, if you caught it in the text, a daughter of Abraham. Not just speaking lineage. He's talking a daughter of faith. She was a daughter of faith. She continued to press into God in the midst of her circumstance. She continued to believe in him. And again, when he accomplished what he needed to accomplish, he freed her. Now, you can only do what Jesus did here if you're king over those things. Like if you have authority over over those things. You and I in this world, we have certain authority, God-ordained authority that he has given us because we're ambassadors of Christ. When you're an ambassador to a country, you go there with some certain level of authority. You don't have all authority, but you have some authority. You're on business for the king. The king has all authority in his kingdom, right? You have some authority in his kingdom. And so you come and you can speak a certain level of authority. But Jesus, when he walks in, all, all authority belongs to him. All kingdoms will fall before him because he is king of kings and he is Lord of lords. And that's what he's demonstrating in this, in this synagogue, that he is king and sovereign over all. Psalm 10:16 says this, the Lord is king forever and ever. There hasn't ever been a time when Jesus wasn't king, and there will never be a time when Jesus isn't king. He is king forever and ever. Psalm 29, 10, the Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord sits enthroned as king forever. Psalm 47, 2, for the Lord, the most high, is to be feared, a great king over all the earth. He is king forever, and he will be king forever. He's a great king over all the earth. And we see that promise being given to him through Isaiah the prophet in Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6 where it says, for unto us a child is born, unto us a child is given. And listen, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, uh, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. When Jesus came down as a child, when he was birthed into this world as a, a, little, a little kid, he became like us. And yet, at the very same time, he was supreme over us. He never laid down the authority that he had. Yet, it, he emptied himself of his glory. And yet, he still operated in authority. He was king even when he was born. The government was upon his shoulders. Now, the government is the ruling power of the day. They're, they're, the rule, they're the rule makers. They're the ones that ultimately have authority, right? The governments. 
What was promised to her is that Jesus, every single human government that would ever exist would be subject to him. That means even the rulers of, of the air, the principalities of darkness, all those kingdoms that exist in our world today, spiritual kingdoms, physical kingdoms, every one of them would be subject to him. He is sovereign. Do you know that when Jesus came to earth that he could have spoke freedom to the Jews and just said, you know, Romans, we're, we're now taking over. Thank you. Thanks for what you've done, but we're taking over now because I'm king of kings and you're submissive to me and we'll do it that way. And he could have called angels down, just, just, just been filled in the background with, uh, you know, numerous, you know, innumerable angels. Yet that's not why he came the first time. But he's sovereign like that. And I hope you realize that. Are you really sitting on pins and needles right now in election year wondering how in the world God can accomplish his purpose if so-and-so gets in office? Are you really concerned about that? Are you really worried about that? Because I hear uh, a mixed bag of people saying all kinds of different things. I'm not sure if people are worried or if they're not worried. Are you worried? I'm not worried. I'm not worried at all because I have 66 books God has written to me personally that show me that he's sovereign. 66 different love letters from God to me that tell me that no matter what happens in this world, he's in control. Like no matter how wicked a person might be and they might find themselves being a ruler over the world, they're not a ruler over his world. Like he is king of kings and, and no matter what happens on this earth, he's still in control. And so don't worry about elections. Don't worry about who, what if somebody gets in office? Are we going to have an economic collapse? Are we going to do this? Are we gonna, you know, I don't know. What do we do? I don't know. Trust Jesus. Do not put your trust in human beings. Do not put your trust in a government. That might be illegal to say right now. I'm not sure. It will be one day. Do not put your trust in a Republican. Do not put your trust in a Democrat. Do not put your trust in an independent. You put your trust in Jesus and Jesus alone. He's the one that we're trusting. Does that mean that we don't vote? No. You do whatever, you know, he's given you freedoms to do those things. So you operate accordingly. And, you know, I'm a firm believer that I'm going to Vote, because as we'll see today, God uses small things. He uses small things, and he uses them in big ways. And so I'm going to take this little small thing that I have, this one little vote that I have, and I'm going to do that. You determine what you want to do. It's a freedom you have. You know, you have the choice to make. But what I tell you is no matter what, don't you dare worry. Don't you dare worry about what's going to happen to our country because our country is in the hand of a great king. and We have nothing to worry about. He is king of all the nations. He is sovereign ruler of all the earth. And he's the one that we're looking to in a fallen world. We're not looking to man to save our country. We're looking for Jesus. And he can do it. Because he is wonderful counselor. Because he is mighty God. He is everlasting father and prince of peace. He is king Jesus. The question is, is he King Jesus of your life? 
Is he king of your life? Can I just let you in on a little secret? Whether or not you call him king doesn't take away the fact that he still is king over you. You understand? We live in a world where Jesus is king no matter what. It doesn't matter if you call him king or not. The difference is when you call him king, you become a kid of the kingdom. That's the difference. When you call him king and you surrender your life to him, guess what? You become an heir to the kingdom. You become an heir to the throne. You become, you know, an heir of grace that he has given. One of the things that every king has is a kingdom. They all have a kingdom. Did you know that? You probably did. I'm probably Captain Obvious here, but that's okay. You can't be a king unless you have a kingdom. And Jesus has a kingdom and what a kingdom it is. And that's what he wants to talk to us about here. Psalm 103.19 tells us, The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. Again, he's king over all and his kingdom is over all. So we have this, 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 this supreme king that, is, that has a supreme kingdom over all things. He, he, Jesus is not only king of a kingdom, but he is king of the kingdom that rules over all. And in verses 18 through 21, Jesus describes for us in two different parables what that kingdom is like. That's what he wants us to understand. But before we explain what it's like, we must understand what the kingdom of God is. My guess is if I were to ask every one of you, what is the kingdom of God? I would get all kinds of different answers. Because it's one of those terms that there's all kinds of different views of this. What is Jesus talking about? You know, first and foremost, you know, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. That, that phrase, kingdom of heaven, is Matthew uses that terminology. I believe it's, it's, it's uh, synonymous. It's the same word, same thing. It's speaking about the same thing. It's speaking about Jesus' kingdom. So the question is, is what is that kingdom? What is that kingdom? We, we know that the kingdom of God from the scripture is, uh, is a physical kingdom. We understand that. You know, if Jesus were to ask the people that were listening to him in that synagogue today, tell me what the kingdom of God is, they would have said it's a physical kingdom that, uh, that, that Messiah will come and he will rule and he will sit in the throne in Jerusalem and he will rule and we will no longer be over anyone, but we will be ruling and reigning with him. That was the understanding of the kingdom of God that they understood. Is they, that was, and that was correct. Partially. It is a physical kingdom that comes and Jesus will set up his kingdom, his earthly kingdom, and he will reign in the millennial reign. He will do that. But first, it has to be, uh, you know, first he has to rescue us in spiritually. And so it's a spiritual kingdom initially. And so it's an invisible kingdom that is given to those by faith that believe in Jesus Christ and then that hidden kingdom is hidden within us. Then we go out and we share that kingdom with other people. And so you're dispersing the kingdom of God as you share the gospel with people as they become, as they lay their lives down before the Lord and they accept Christ, then they become kids of the kingdom too. And the kingdom comes within them. And so there's, there's two parts to it. Just like, when, just like in the fall of mankind when, when uh, um, Adam and Eve, when God said, you shall surely die in the Garden of Eden, that was a spiritual and a physical death. He was talking about both. This kingdom is a spiritual and a physical kingdom. And ultimately, the physical kingdom will be manifest when 
you know, the new Jerusalem comes out of the sky and, and the throne of God is there and that will be the physical kingdom forever and ever. Again, even Jesus' earthly reign is only temporary. And he will, destroy the he, he will destroy the earth, will destroy the heavens, and he will make a new one. And, and he will make a new Jerusalem where, where we will be with him. That is what we call heaven. Um, so the kingdom of God is a twofold kingdom that is both physical and spiritual. But the spiritual had to be established first. We lost spiritual connection with God in, in the Garden of Eden. And so when Jesus came the first time, he came to reestablish a spiritual kingdom that you and I could enter into. It never went anywhere from his standpoint. We just got kicked out of it. And so he came to open up the spiritual kingdom to you and I so that we could be in fellowship with him. He came to establish an invisible spiritual kingdom where our spiritual beings are ripped away from the kingdom of darkness and we enter into the kingdom of marvelous light. That's what the Jews were missing that day. Jesus said the kingdom of God is life. They were missing that understanding that Jesus would come twice. The Messiah would come twice. First as the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world, uh, i.e. the spiritual kingdom, and then the second as the Lion of the tribe of Judah who would establish his physical kingdom and he will rule with a scepter. So that is what we're talking about. It's a twofold kingdom. Daniel speaks about this kingdom in Daniel chapter 2. Remember King Nebuchadnezzar had this dream of this statue. The statue represented different kingdoms. So the head was gold and the, and the head represented a, a, a Babylon and, and it had a chest and arms of silver which represented the Medo-Persian kingdoms. The, the middle and thighs of, were of bronze which represented Greece. And the legs were of iron, which represented Rome. They're these different kingdoms that he's talking about. This is prophetic. God is giving Nebuchadnezzar a view of what's going to happen. He's, he gave him a dream. Nobody could interpret the dream. But Daniel is called upon, and he can interpret the dream. So he tells us what all this means. But there were also feet on that statue. And those feet were partial iron mixed with clay. That is what I believe to represent a future mixed Roman empire that will come in the tribulation period and will exist in 10 different kingdoms. And I believe that's what he's talking about. But here's the best thing, regardless of what you see those things to mean. Here's the awesome thing. Daniel chapter 2, verse 34, it says, As you looked, speaking to Nebuchadnezzar, a stone was cut out by no human hand and it struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them into pieces. You know who that stone is, don't you? That stone is Jesus Christ. He comes down and he destroys every human kingdom that exists. He becomes king forever. He will come and destroy every kingdom. And Daniel goes on to tell us in, in verses 44 through 45 in, in Daniel 2, and in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed. Nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end. And it shall stand forever. Just as you saw that a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand. And it be broken in pieces. The iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold. A great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. The dream is certain and the interpretation is sure. Can I just tell you that that means that this is true and it's going to happen. Daniel was telling Nebuchadnezzar, 
don't even doubt this because it's happening. You're gonna, it's going to happen. There's nothing you can do about it. It is going to happen. Jesus came to set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed. That's what he's in process of doing here. So in order to understand what Jesus is saying, we have to understand that his kingdom is a twofold kingdom. It's an invisible spiritual kingdom that then becomes a visible uh, physical kingdom. Verse 18, he said, therefore. Now, anytime you interpret, anytime you come to the word therefore in the Bible, what do you have to do? You have to ask what it's there for, right? Hey, there's a little Bible interpretation for you, a little, little tool you can use. If you find a therefore, what is happening is it's connecting what, what was just said with what he's going to say. So what just happened? Well, in verse 17, Jesus said these things. All his adversaries were put to shame, and all the people rejoiced at all the glorious things that were done by him. His segue into talking about the kingdom of God was the fact that these people, that he had just destroyed the earthly interpretation of the law and the Sabbath, like, the, like what they stood for. He just completely destroyed it with a simple analogy. And then he apparently, it seems like, the way that the text is written, that he did some more things. Because it says, people rejoiced at all the glorious things, plural, that had been done by him. So it, he apparently does some more works in that synagogue. Like, the, the, you remember the, uh, the uh, Sabbath ruler said, you know, if you want to be healed, don't come on the Sabbath and all this kind of stuff. What does Jesus do? He just starts healing people, I think. Because it's like, oh, by the way, you have the wrong interpretation of the Sabbath. Uh, let me just do good because God does good even on rest days. He's still a good God and he's still at work. Like God's not up and he's like, man, it's the Sabbath. What am I going to do today? You know, he doesn't, he doesn't like that. He's on his throne always. He's doing things always. But he does rest. And rest is a gift from God. It's, he, he wants us to rest. He wants us to take a day and focus on him. And he wants us to rest. But that's not a law. That's a privilege. It's something we get to do, not that's something we have to do. And again, it's not like you, you know, God wants us to, to rest because it's good and healthy for us. You know, I think we live in a society that doesn't know how to rest. And I'll tell you, I don't know how to rest. Sometimes when I, when I get out of like my routine and I have to like rest, I don't know what to do. I'm like, uh, what do I do here? I don't, I don't know what to do. It takes a while to decompress. Anybody with me on that? It's difficult. God wants us to rest. But, but here's the thing is, um, Jesus did some more things here and it says that they all began to praise God. They all began to praise the Lord for all that he had done. And then Jesus said this. Let me tell you what the kingdom of God is like. The kingdom of God is like this. And this is what it's like in two. So he's transitioning to tell them, you think this is cool? Man, wait till you see my kingdom. Wait until you see my kingdom. Now, I'm going to give you the kingdom right now. And it's near you. If you accept it by faith, it will come in you, and man, will it do a work in your life. Let's talk about the kingdom. That's the segue into why he talks this way. Uh, he goes on in verse 18, what is the kingdom of God like, and what shall I compare it? Oh, parable number one, it's like the grain of a mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden, and it grew and became a tree. The birds of the air made nests in its branches. What Jesus is saying here is that the kingdom of God will grow from something very small to something very large. 
or take something, the, the, the seed of uh, the, the mustard seed. It was the smallest seed in the garden plants at that time. You can, you know, and, and this is where scholars, you know, anti-biblical people like to come and say, well, well, this is clearly Jesus doesn't know what he's talking about because there are smaller seeds, you know, and, uh, you know, in, in, the, in, in the world. Well, he wasn't talking about the world. He's talking about specifically in this, in this specific uh, culture to these people that they could understand, and it's in their garden. He talks about it being sown in a garden. He's talking about the garden plants, and so it is actually the smallest seed in the garden family. So now that we have that clear, we can move forward. But um, the mustard seed, Jesus was trying to help them to understand he's going to take this little tiny thing. It's going to, like, i.e., it's going to come from this little baby that was born of a virgin, and it's going to come into the world, and it's just going to explode into something big. That's what he's saying. He's saying the kingdom of God is like that. Do you know that uh, a mustard seed, you know, it's a seed you can, you can, Hardly, it's real small, and it grows into a tree or into a bush, really, is what they call it. Um, you know, but it can get 10 to 12 feet high. It can get somewhere in the neighborhood of 15 feet in diameter. You know, it can, it can become fairly large. It, it can get to the point where it is substantial enough to host birds, it says. Here, Jesus is saying it's going to be fairly substantial. He's sowing this in a garden. Now, if you're with us Several weeks ago, you'll recall that Jesus used a parable that he talked about a vineyard. But what did the vineyard represent? Represented Israel, if you remember that. Here, I believe that he's rep- the, the garden that he's sowing into is Israel. He's sowing the mustard seed into the garden. And here's the thing is that seed is going to take root very small, and then it's going to expand and blow up. It's going to become substantial to the point that birds will come and nest themselves in this tree. Now, some people believe that that is speaking about the the, uh, Gentiles coming into the church, that the branches and all this kind of stuff. But, you know, I I don't know. I I mean, it happened. So, we. I mean, that's true. Whether that's what it means or not, I don't know. They they support it with Ezekiel chapter 17 and 31. You can look those up later. Um, You know, that's where they would get that from. And that could very well be the case. It makes sense. Some would say that, um, you know, there's really, really no meaning to, the, to it, really. It's just kind of just speaking about the substantialness of the branches and the fact that, that it's healthy and that, that birds would come in and nest themselves in it and all that kind of stuff. I don't know. I mean, yeah, maybe. Uh, I kind of like the, the, the other view that, that birds in the Bible are typically representatives of evil. And, you know, the, the, you see the, in the parable of the sower, the bird is, is Satan. So maybe it's a me- messenger of Satan that will find itself nested into the branches, because we are grafted into the shoot, right? I mean, that's what, that's what the Bible tells us in, in, in Romans chapter 9 through 11 there, talking about Israel and how the fact that his Gentiles were grafted in and that kind of stuff. So, so, you know, we're part of those branches. I am the vine, you are the branches, right? So I think that this is speaking about the, the evilness that will come into the church. Listen, if Satan can't beat you, he'll join you. You know, he'll just come in and join you. He can't beat your family, he'll join your family. If he can't beat your church, he'll join your church. You know, he'll find his way in somehow because he hates us. He hates what we stand for. And he hates the fact when anybody ever mentions the word Jesus. Hates it. So he's going to have messengers that will come into the church. Again, not dogmatic about that, 
Maybe, maybe, maybe it's the Gentiles. Maybe it doesn't have any significance. I believe it maybe means that, and, I'll, and there's another reason. But here's what we know about Christianity. From this little baby, it spread to 12 Jewish men. It spread to, today, 2.2 billion people. Over 31% of the, of the world's population claims to be followers of Jesus. Now, we know that that's not necessarily, they're not all followers of Jesus, probably. We know that maybe there's a smaller number than that. But what, what we do know is that it's, it's a, there's been a, a, a sizable growth that has happened from this little mustard seed. And the mustard seed also represents what in the Bible? Faith. It takes faith to get into this kingdom. So Jesus gives this analogy and he says, man, wait till you see from this little tiny seed that I'm planting right now, what will happen? It's going to be amazing. He goes on in verse 20. And again he said, to what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It is like leaven that a woman took and hid three measures of flour until it was all leavened. And we, we all get this analogy. We know what leaven is. Leaven is yeast, and it only takes a little bit to, to take a... To anybody bake their own bread in here? You know, and you just put a little, um, little leaven in it. You know, man, that's so awesome to walk into a place that bakes their own bread. It's like, ooh, smells good. Well, they used to, back in this day, they would take... A, um, they would make kind of like a sourdough bread, and they would take a little lump of the, of the dough from the previous batch and understand they, they were making bread all the time. This is like, like they couldn't run down to Publix and grab some mountain bread, you know? I mean, they had to actually take some, uh, you know, they, had to, they kept a little bit from the last batch, and then they would take that dough and they would put a little pinch of that into the new batch that they're making. Now, this, the, the amount that's being made here is fairly large. Like, like, like it, it's talking about um, three measures of flour. That's somewhere like around 50 pounds, you know, and, and people have estimated that this is probably going to be able to feed like 100 people. So, Maybe this is the, some kind of a ceremony or, or some kind of celebration or whatever. We don't know. But Jesus said this woman took and she put some of, that, some of that dough from the previous batch into this and she mixed it up. And what happened to it? After a period of time, it began to permeate throughout all the rest of the, the flour and it began to overtake it and it became different than it was. So apply that. What Jesus is saying is the kingdom of God is like leaven. Now, I know what you're thinking. Well, you know, in the spirit of, of scriptural constancy, the, the, the word leaven is always used in an evil sense. You know, that, 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 and so, you know, people will say, well, this is clearly saying that evil is going to permeate its way through the church or whatever. Could be, I don't know. I think that what Jesus is saying is the kingdom of God. In, in light of what he's saying here, these people are rejoicing. You, th you know, Jesus loves to bring the funeral to the party. You know what I mean? He's the guy that's just like, hey, let me tell you how sinful you are. You know? No, I mean, I think he's talking about the kingdom of God in a positive light because it, positive things are happening. It would make no sense for Jesus to say, let me tell you how sinful you are. You know? I mean, let's just bring rain down on this. You know? No, I think he's saying... The kingdom of God, in this sense, is like leaven. It's small. It doesn't take much. But man, is it going to change your life? It will change your life. When you, by faith, receive the kingdom of God into your life, it's going to radically change your life. Uh, you remember back in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus gave a sermon called the Sermon on the Mount. And he gave 
these things called the Beatitudes. And what he was saying is these are kingdom characteristics. These are things that will be characteristic of a kid of the kingdom. So what happens is when the kingdom of God, that little piece of dough that's put into your flower, into your life, into your heart, starts to permeate its way through it, you start to look like Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 8. You start to look like a citizen of the kingdom. Like before you received Christ, you were not anything like that. You weren't somebody that was, you know, poor in spirit. Oh, man, I'm totally bankrupt, but I'm having fun. I'm not even looking for, you know. No, you, were, you weren't bankrupt. You thought you had it all. Before you came to Christ, you weren't a peacemaker. You're probably a rebel. You're probably trying to create problems. Before you came to Christ, you weren't anything like what he describes in, in the Beatitudes. But when you came to Christ, now he starts to permeate those characteristics in your life. And the kingdom of God begins to work its way through you and you begin to change. Small thing, big difference. Jesus takes something very small and he says it's going to make a big difference in your life. How many of you are exactly the same person you were when you first came to Christ? Anybody here? I hope not, because I would say, you're probably not a Christian, so don't raise your hand. No, but, but it, you've changed, right? I mean, stuff has been happening in your life. When you have an encounter with the living God and you invite him into your life, you're not going to be the same. The Bible declares that, that you'll be a new person. You know, when, when, when the Holy Spirit seals you immediately when you believe upon him, you have now that dough that's been put into your heart. And he's going to start changing you. Man, I changed immediately. I changed immediately. I don't know the profanity from my mouth that I don't know why I even said, um, but it just found its way to be gone. I didn't really even think about it. It just was gone. You know, wasn't that the beatitude number nine? You know, profanity will not, it wasn't. But anyway, I changed immediately. and, and, And you did too in some way. In some way, you are not the same person you used to be because the Bible says you'll be different. If anybody's in Christ, he's a new creature. All the old's past, behold, you become new. So you're a new person. And the kingdom characteristics are making their way through your life. That permeation, as you begin to change, other people begin to see it. And they look at the light because they're living in darkness. And they're saying, why can you be like that when this happens to you? But when I, this happens to me, I become like this. Why? What's different about you? And you can say, man, let me tell you about Jesus. Let me tell you about the king that I serve. He has the ability to change the way that you react to stuff. He has the ability to flip your world upside down and help you to see clearly the, the world that we're living in and, and really what's important to prioritize and all that kind of stuff. Man, I don't see how you make a living these days, you know. It's just in, in the Lord provides. Provides for his kids, you know. And, and so Jesus is trying to help these guys see that, you know, you and I are peculiar people to the world. We're strange. Something wrong with you. Some of you, that's just natural. Some of you came when you came to Christ. I'm, I'm sorry to... <laughs> But <laughs> typical joke from the pastor. 
So, but, but reality is, is that that leaven goes in your life and you begin to change and God uses that in other people's lives. He draws them, he, he uses that to draw people to himself. Are you permeating today? Is that dough that's been placed in your heart the day that you surrendered your heart to Christ? Has it stopped rising? Are you deflated in some way? Or are you allowing that dough to continue to make its way through your life and continue to cause you to rise up in difficult moments where God can be given glory and people can see him through you? Jesus said the kingdom of God is like that. It's going to start small. It's going to become visibly big. It's going to start internally and it's going to be seen externally. It is an invisible kingdom that will become visible to the world around us. I want to encourage you this morning. In light of what he's saying, don't despise you might be the only Christian in your work. You might be, you know, the only Christian in your family. You might be the only Christian that God planted somewhere at some time. Don't despise your smallness. Don't despise your smallness. Don't you dare say, but I'm only one person. God takes small things and he does substantial work through them. Every movement of God started in the heart of this one person. The gospel started in the heart of 12 guys. There's more than 12 people here. If we will allow the gospel to do its work, the kingdom of God to shine through us to, and do its work in us, God will expand it. He will expand your personal ministry. But you have to submit to that. And again, it's a dying to self. I think Cindy or somebody read a scripture in, in a prayer this week about, about how a seed has to go in the ground and die. That mustard seed had to go in the ground and die for it to birth fruit. You want to see fruit in your life, you have to die to yourself. You want to be like that mustard seed, you, gotta, you have to die to you know, your feelings when circumstances come in your life and you want to get angry about them or you want to, or you want to be depressed about them or you want to, you know, whatever you want, you want to throw your hands up and give up, you can't do that. You have to die to yourself because God has a plan. And he's telling you that he can take this small thing that's going on in your life and he can use it in big ways. You just have to submit to him. He's also challenging you today to, to never stop growing. To never stop growing. You know, we don't ever arrive in his kingdom until we're dead. You realize that, right? Like, you can walk with the Lord from the time you're four years old until you're 90 years old and you have not arrived. There's still permeation that's happening in your heart. There's still change that needs to happen. You still don't have fully that kingdom, uh, you know, characteristics, those, citizens, uh, those characteristics of the citizen of, of heaven. And so God's making those and you and he's continuing to cultivate them. And the moment you die, you have them. Then they're, they, just, they just are there. But he's working them out in your life. They exist in you. You just got to let them out. You got to surrender yourself to them. 
don't stop growing. You know, don't stop reading God's Word and allowing it to do a work in your life. Make that a priority in your life. Jesus said, if you would do that, if you would just commit a little time to me every day, just a little bit, I can do amazing things with just a little time. Give me five minutes. Give me 10 minutes. It will turn into 15. It will turn into 30. It will turn into an hour because you'll start to see what God will do in your life. It's not just simply reading the Bible to read the Bible. It's reading the Bible with expectation to say, God, cultivate me. God, permeate me today. Allow those characteristics to come out of my life today. I know I'm going to encounter hard things, but don't let me cower to the flesh. Let me rise up like that leaven that you put in me the day that I came to know you. Don't despise your smallness in, the, in number. Despise the, the growth that you've had, and, and maybe, you, maybe you need to grow, you know, maybe you haven't experienced as much growth as you, as you really wish you would have or have. You can today. You just start today. Something you can do today. I challenge you to submit to those two things this next week and just watch and see what God will do in your life. I promise you, He won't let you down. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this morning and just for your word and for these incredible analogies or these parables that you've given us, Lord, to see what the kingdom of God is like. We pray this morning that you would give us the faith to believe them. Give us the faith to, in our oneness, Lord, that, or in our smallness, that we would just submit to you and let you do big things in us. That we would never stop growing in you, Lord. And that you would help us to continue to uh, reach a world that is dying. Lord, we're, we are propagators of, of your kingdom. Let us not hold back the reality of that kingdom. Just as like the old time prophets, Lord, they, they went into the, their society and their culture and they said, judgment's coming. God is going to do a work in this in this culture because of our hearts have turned away from you. Jesus, his message was repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Lord, don't let us, don't, don't help us not to be afraid to call people out to repent. Help us, Lord, give us boldness and use us in mighty ways we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. You can hear more of Pastor Tim's studies through the Word of God on our website, www.calvaryofcolumbia.org. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll join us again as we continue to study God's Word.